1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He is turned down Every single documentary project looking closely
2: at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcasts. What does the Drew Brees injury mean for the Saints? Will either Buffalo... Running back finish the season with a bang and what kind of value does Ezekiel Elliott hold in dynasty? We're talking all that and more on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I am joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. And unfortunately, Matt, we have to talk about uh an injury to Drew Brees, and it looks like he could miss a lot of time, um, at least in the regular season in what could be his last year. So I think we'd have to start off just talking about what this means for the Saints. I don't know if it
1: actually means much for them. Like, I think the offense will be different under Jameis Winston. I think it will probably be more of a downfield attack, which uh, in theory could make it a little more dynamic and maybe a little more volatile game to game. But I think overall, the bottom line production that you get out of the offense will probably be about the same. Um, the annoying thing is that uh, the Taysom Hill truthers are going to, uh, give to be out in, in droves um, because they're going to, you know, see their guy get more playing time. I don't think it's actually going to be all that inspiring, um, but he is, uh, my fear is that he's going to get enough usage to dampen any uh, Jameis Winston utility that we may have seen uh, without actually adding any functionality uh, to his own fantasy offerings. So that's kind of the bottom line of what I'm thinking with the saints right now.
2: Got it. Yeah. So for anybody that isn't aware, Drew Brees suffered multiple rib fractures, uh, both sides of the chest and a collapsed lung on the right side. Uh, So, you know, something that you definitely don't like to see, Um, by by the way,
1: actually. So let's talk a little bit about the the hit. So apparently, like these are injuries that have just been accumulating for a while or or like kind of across multiple weeks. But the the hit that really seemed to do him in, um, it got called for a roughing the passer. But there really wasn't anything all that rough about it it looks like just kind of like a normal, like, Oh, that was, that was a hard hit. Like he's going to be filling that tomorrow type of hit yep. Not like anything that seemed dirty or worthy of a flag. And it just makes me think of like how not like soft is not, that's not the right word, but like how much easier it is now for quarterbacks Uh, in the pocket relative to the quarterbacks who played in the league like 20 years ago. Because like 20 years ago, like guys were getting hit like that multiple times per game. You know, like this, it just makes me think of like how much easier it is for someone like Breeze now uh, playing in his 40s to survive into his 40s. And then while he's in his 40s, still be able to play at a pretty high level relative to anyone who would have tried to do that 20 years ago.
2: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing here is, too, that um, over the course of his career, it's probably gotten progressively easier to stay healthy. Uh, And I definitely think that some of that probably has to do with why we're seeing this rise in these athletic quarterbacks able to function and function well. Because... They have to obviously worry about the hits they're going to sustain when they're scrambling and outside of the pocket, you know, running downfield. Uh, but at the same time, they're not getting as much additional carnage as quarterbacks would have in the past. Right. they are in the pocket. So yeah, it's a, yeah. a really interesting point. I hadn't really thought about.
1: Yeah, it's easier to be a Vic type of quarterback now than it was when Vic was trying to do it because, like these guys, just they don't get beat up the way that Vic did.
2: Right. Um, so. I'm going to bring this back, though, to the Saints quickly, because I'm sure people out there are wondering, um, and I know you kind of touched upon this. Do they need to make any adjustments to how they might set their lineup because of Jameis Winston coming in? Like, are there any players that you think would have been guys you can consider, but now you have to put them on the bench?
1: No, I don't think so. I think, you know, whoever you have on the team that you were planning to use, those are still the guys that you go with. Um, One, one person of interest, like Emmanuel Sanders hasn't done all that well recently, Um, but he does have a very good matchup this week going against uh, the Falcons who, I mean, you know, they're bad against the pass anyway. And then uh, he's playing more in the slot. So it looks like he will be going against Isaiah Oliver, which like that is a very good matchup. So, you know, maybe Sanders in most weeks would be someone that you would have thought about benching. Um, This isn't really tied to breeze at all, but you know, like because of the matchup, maybe he's still someone
2: that you go with. Right. And, and you know, I could really see things playing out in a number of ways with Jameis coming in, but I don't think that um, for the players you would be using any of those are going to be like catastrophic enough that I would avoid them altogether because we know and we've, we saw it with the Bucks, right if Jameis isn't playing well that normally manifests in him throwing picks which then leads the team to need to throw a lot anyway yeah um you could try to spin some way that perhaps that could hurt Kamara but you know Kamara is probably still going to be so involved as a receiver that I don't think it really matters Jared Cook maybe we should mention struggled in the game um yesterday the thing is though I still think that uh, Cook is one of those guys and he only saw two targets so the last two weeks uh just five targets I still think though that with what you can get from him um I'm playing him personally if he's on my teams I'm not gonna let myself worry too much about that um do you have any any fears about Jared Cook given the last two weeks
1: yeah, I mean I have fears about Jared Cook given the last 2 years. Like he's he's played at an incredibly efficient level which just does not seem sustainable especially now that Breeze is not his quarterback because I think a lot of the of the production from Jared Cook has been sort of like this alchemy uh, of that connection with Breeze and and now that's just gone. So I don't I don't really want any Jared Cook and I I really never wanted him at any part this season to begin with just based on his volume. So like, no, I really don't want him.
2: Okay. That's probably a fair perspective. I will say that cook has managed to finish as a tight end. One 50% of the time. Of course, your stance here is that without drew Brees, that's going to be hard to happen. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time though on the saints. So let's, let's move along. Um, Continuing down with the injuries, Teddy Bridgewater day to day with what the team is calling a somewhat mild MCL sprain. I know earlier in the morning, I was listening to um, some people talking, thinking that you know it might be concerning that the results weren't coming out on Bridgewater too early. Eventually, the team did release that. It was an MCL sprain, and it looks like this might not sideline him for that long. However, though, it looks like there is, a- as with any injury to your quarterback, you do have to worry about the fact that he could be out for extended time. PJ Walker would be the backup. I have to think that this is one of those where you'd be a little bit more concerned for the team's receivers if Bridgewater is unable to play, Matt.
1: Yeah, I would be, but uh, at the same time, uh, XFL fan that I am. uh, I'm kind of excited, not that I'm like happy at all that Bridgewater is injured, but I'm excited that if Bridgewater has to be out, a guy like PJ Walker, who did really well in the XFL, could end up getting an opportunity. And I mean, it's not to say like, because he tore up the XFL. I mean, like he was the XFL MVP through, what was it? Five weeks. (laughs) (laughs) That means means nothing, but he, he looks good. And, uh, you know, he at least knows, um, this system, and well, actually, that's hard to say because I don't even know if he really knows the system because it's it's not Matt Rule's system, but like he knows Matt Rule very well from their time together at Temple. So I don't think it's like just a random uh, like XFL quarterback happening to start a game. Like I think we should expect a little bit more from PJ Walker than we would just like your normal backup quarterback. So uh, I it's I mean yeah that said it's not good for the offense um, because Bridgewater has played, I think better than people would have expected entering uh, entering the season. And we probably shouldn't expect for that to happen twice with two quarterbacks on the same staff. So I do think everyone takes a, a step backwards um, and maybe it means a little bit more uh, like Robbie Anderson, Uh, is the guy and we see fewer targets overall for some of the other guys
2: yeah so in that game against the Bucks we saw DJ Moore with seven targets Robbie Anderson with six Curtis Samuel with five Uh, in terms though of Anderson getting more targets are you thinking he could be the guy in line did you happen to give a specific as to why you think that is
1: So, uh, yes, I want to just look some stuff up to make sure I'm not uh, saying anything wildly inaccurate. Yes. Okay. So I don't think that it's actually, uh, Anderson will get more targets. I think it's just that he won't suffer the target decay that mm-hmm. the other guys will. And part of that is because of the shower narrative <laughs> that <laughs> Robbie Anderson and PJ Walker like played in college together. Like Robbie Anderson was PJ Walker's number one receiver in college. So like they have a long-standing connection to where uh if PJ Walker is like Rolling out of the pocket, you know, like if whatever is happening, if he's under pressure, I think it's just, I don't want to say like his natural instinct for him just to look to Robbie Anderson, but they already have an established connection that I think will help Anderson, um, weather the storm more than the other guys.
2: Got it. Okay. Um, another injury in Carolina that we need to talk about is the Christian McCaffrey injury. It looks like he's unlikely to play week 11. And I bring this up because I recently got an interesting question from somebody, which on their team, they were considering a trade that would bring Christian McCaffrey onto their team. They feel safe that they're already they've made the playoffs. They're trying to evaluate if they should make this move. I'm curious to Matt as to what you think about how much they need to factor in the potential that there could be more to CMC's health than we realize and is it worth taking the risk of him missing multiple games if you do make a move for him now uh, is it worth taking that risk that maybe you have him back in you know the weeks 14 15 and 16 when you really need him
1: I think it's probably worth it um, I guess just of course depending on what you have to give up but um, you know in a vacuum, I think if it were a serious injury, he would have gone on IR and they just would have shut down the season um, because he would be out for a minimum of three weeks if he's on IR. Uh, and so the fact that they didn't put in there means that maybe they think he sneaks in on the third week or, you know, maybe the fourth week, but that is not serious enough just to end the season for him. And we've seen in what he can do, like in the the three, I mean, first of all, we even have the history of like what he did last year and the year before. Like we, we know he's a guy who can win a league for you. Um, but even just restraining it to this season, we've seen in three games, What he can do, Uh, I mean, clearly one of the best backs in the league, and within this offensive system, there's nothing to say that he can't be like a high end running back. So I think it's worth taking the chance.
2: Yeah, that was ultimately where I landed with on my advice because it's really hard outside of CMC to find anybody where that delta that you're probably going to pick up if you're comparing players in the trade to what you're bringing onto your team is going to be as vast as what it is. With Christian McCaffrey. Um, probably doesn't have any fantasy impacts, but Nick Boyle, unfortunately, out for the season for the Ravens. Uh, rookie Jamichael Hasty for the 49ers suffered a broken collarbone in a backfield that just cannot stay healthy. Uh You know, one one thing, one
1: thing actually about Nick Boyle, I think it is significant, but not for Boyle, uh, but significant in a couple of ways. One, maybe it means that Mark Andrews gets a little more playing time uh, and gets a few more targets headed his way. But I think even the bigger thing is that what made that running game so good last year in part was that they had very good tight ends blocking um, and Boyle is one of the better blocking tight ends in the league. And that system has suffered. And I don't want to say that uh, it in part is because of uh, the absence of Hayden Hurst. um, But like they don't have the tight end depth uh, that they used to have, especially now with Boyle out. And so from the running game perspective, I think it's going to hurt all the more uh, the productivity of the running backs on that team, which like that's where they've already taken a hit because they haven't been able to distinguish themselves. Like all of those guys are getting like six to eight carries per game. Uh, and so that running game is all the more decimated now without one of their better blockers.
2: Yeah. So last night actually Gus Edwards led the team with seven carries and you had Dobbins with five, Mark Ingram with five. Uh Edwards managed to produce the most with the carries that he did did have. Uh but it's disappointing because I think a lot of people thought, Matt, that we could be looking at a situation where maybe Edwards, and you know, heading into the season, people would think it could be Dobbins, could make this run towards the end of the season to produce for zero running back teams. Uh, I'm starting to have my doubts though, of how much that manifests.
1: Yeah. I mean, hopefully at some point we see them just benchmark Ingram. Uh, and then those, those two young guys get a chance really to duke it out, to be the number one runner. But uh, I think as long as Ingram is there, he's going to still, uh, still, still touches. I mean, what was it like on fourth and one, they did a direct snap to Ingram, like <laughs> one of the dumbest plays in the entire game. Yep. Um, I mean, they just have a a veteran deference for Ingram that uh, defies logic at this point.
2: Yep. You know, the other funny thing, too, as I'm just sitting here looking at uh, Baltimore's running backs, there's also Justice Hill on this team who people were hoping last year could do it this time. Then actually, I believe it was Justice Hill made a uh, bad play on a uh, on a punt last night too, which did not help. But um Let's let's get past the oh wait. So we were at San Francisco, right? Jamichael Hasty, yeah. broken collarbone in a backfield that has just been so banged up. We have to figure that Raheem Mostert comes back at some point. If he's not, I think Jarek McKinnon's probably now a pretty decent option for, for teams.
1: Yeah, I mean it looks like uh Jarek McKinnon is the guy, although yeah, Mostert uh or Coleman One of those guys will be coming back at some point, even potentially Jeffrey Wilson. He's been on IR long enough, I I think, to return. So then it's just a question of whether he's healthy enough to return. Um, I mean, Austin Walter is a guy who, you know, potentially could start to see some action. But uh, yeah, I mean, as long as McKinnon is the only guy standing, uh, I mean, yeah, McKinnon looks like a great play.
2: Of course, though, uh, 18 attempts against the Saints and picked up just 33 yards. Uh, yeah, it's painful. Not what you like to see, but I, I'm not no. like I think what we've seen from this backfield is at any given week, one of these guys can make something happen. So and I know that this isn't exactly the same team that you might be. or Let me say it like this. There still might be some residue in people's minds of the San Francisco team that we saw last year. I think this is a very different team this year. Um, but nonetheless, the backs can have the chance to produce uh, week to week. All right, let's move off of the injuries. I just want to talk quickly about that Bills-Seahawks game or excuse me, not Bills Seahawks, again, about the Cardinals Seahawks game and what a catch DeAndre Hopkins made at the end of that game there. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Cardinals. Cardinals oh <laughs> Bills. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. Cardinals Bills. Wow. Um, yeah. All right, you can just take it now because I'm, I'm clearly struggling here. No, it's fine. I
1: mean, those, those teams have, uh, have been mixing it up for a while and, and they've all been good games. But yeah, yeah. that, uh, I mean, it was a great throw from Kyler Murray. Uh, A great catch, obviously, by DeAndre Hopkins and like literally triple coverage. Um, And then obviously there is I mean, there just has to be luck involved in any any situation like that. But uh, I mean, like what what can you say? Uh, We've seen the development of Kyler Murray from a guy who looked good last year. But, you know, you weren't sure if he was going to take a step forward. You weren't sure if that offensive system he was in would take a step forward. Uh, And then in the offseason, you know, you're looking at the weapons he has around him. Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald. And then they swing this trade for DeAndre Hopkins out of nowhere, which like that has to be one of the best trades, like most immediately impactful trades uh, that we've seen. in in the past decade for sure. Uh, And you just think that like everything has been going towards this moment for the team in a situation like this to be able to pull it out. And, you know, we are now entering week 11. Like this is, this is the home stretch and they are tied. They are in a three-way tie for the NFC West. Uh, And I mean, I think Murray at this point, has to be ahead of Russell Wilson in the MVP race. Like, I, I don't think many other people are going to see it that way because of um, like the primacy of what Russell Wilson was doing early in the season. But at this point, um, I mean, I gotta say like, I think by far the better bet is Kyler Murray. Like the guy who is doing something that even if it's not historic, it's near historic and I think it actually is historic because it's going above and beyond what we saw out of Lamar Jackson last year. Like Jackson was changing the quarterback position based on what he was able to do with his legs. And now Murray is taking that one step further by saying like, okay, uh, I can do what Jackson did with his legs and I can throw the ball at a level that Jackson, you know, like all apologies and will probably never be able to have uh, in his career. And this is just his second season. Uh, I, I mean, if I had to bet right now, I would bet on, um, especially kind of thinking in terms of value, like not thinking of Mahomes or anything like that. But if guys who are probably still undervalued, uh, I would bet on Murray to win the MVP.
2: Wow. Um, it has been absolutely crazy what, he, crazy what he's been able to do. So 10 rushing touchdowns already for Kyler Murray. You know, the thing that people might point to, Uh, is what having a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins can do for a quarterback. And yes, like I, I, that was probably in a lot of regards, one of the best catches you'll ever see yesterday. And the fact that Hopkins was able to position himself around three uh, defenders, pinpoint the ball at the right time, jump up, have the hands and the strength to make that play. It was unbelievable. But, you know, you're talking about Russell Wilson. He has a fantastic group uh, of receivers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And I also think that Moore is really talented and doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Yeah. So he has the weapons too. And we're going to talk about Ben Roethlisberger in the in the next question, another uh, quarterback that has the weapons. But it's been really impressive what uh, Murray has done. Before we move off though of the Cardinals, uh, Kenyon Drake comes back into the mix, manages to have a good game. Chase Edmonds actually managed to produce too with the, with the work that he did get. Um, kind of feels to me though, like Drake is going to still be operating out of that RB one type of role for Arizona. Do you disagree?
1: Yeah. I mean, it looks like you're right. It looks like he's the guy, um, that, uh, Edmonds as potential laden as he is, will still be the number two.
2: Yep. Now that brings me though, to, uh, the bills backfield, which we have not really talked a lot this season about so before we leave the, uh that game let's do it Devin Singletary Zach Moss they've had fairly even distribution in the opportunities that they have had neither player has really managed to do a whole lot to differentiate themselves this year and from a fantasy perspective I think a lot of their owners are disappointed do you think that we could see scenario at this point where one of them somehow manages to kind of steal the show and finish the fantasy season with a bang, or do we just need to give up those hopes?
1: Uh, I'm honestly not that enthusiastic about either one of them, Um, especially with Josh Allen being there to steal carries uh, at the goal line um, and with the offense being much more focused on the passing game now. um, Just not really interested in either one.
2: Yeah, you know, it's almost like what people were hoping you might be able to somewhat approximate with um, Singletary and Moss. It's really become like the um, Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley show. Um, Yeah. So, and I see no reason why that changes. Um, So, yeah, I'm not really feeling too hopeful about either of them. Moss, another one of those guys that a lot of people were hoping would be able to come in for them at the end of the season and really make things happen. Um, But, you know... I don't think that we're going to be expecting him to finish with a flurry. All right, Matt. I know that you've been all into talking about the MVP race. Uh, I teased it. Let's just talk about Ben Roethlisberger. Steelers, you know, they continue to press on. We saw Juju remain alive with a touchdown. Um, Three fantastic receivers right there. I have to imagine that the closer we get to Pittsburgh running the table and the further they get into the season without having a loss, it has to shoot Roethlisberger further and further into the conversation.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So in the NFC, I think the guy who offers the most value right now is Kyler Murray. And in the AFC, um, I think it has to be Ben Roethlisberger. And that like, that's not to take anything away from, um, from Patrick Mahomes, who like, you know, we talked about, in earlier episodes. And I thought like at that time he offered value and uh, he did offer value at that time. Like when we first start, started talking about him, I think he was seven to one and then four to one. Now I think he's maybe like two to one. Um, but you look at Roethlisberger, uh and last week when we were talking about him, I think he was 33 to one at one book. Um, you know, he had 306 yards passing and three touchdowns passing last week. Uh, sorry, two weeks ago. Uh, And then last week against Cincinnati, 333 yards and four touchdowns passing. And he's not like he's not the quarterback he used to be, but he has the best maybe all around receiving group that he's ever had. Uh, And, you know, that like includes the Antonio Brown days Um, like where Brown was great, but like they didn't have the well-rounded group. The, the way that they do now, like even with James Washington as like your number four receiver, who's barely getting any action like that just kind of speaks to the, the quality and the depth of this group. Um, I don't know. Like you look at the, the schedule that they have uh, Jacksonville this upcoming week. Okay. Like that's, that's a win. And at that point they're 10 and 0. And all they have to do, I want to say like all they have to do, but you know, in week 12, they have Baltimore. If they win that game, they're 11 and 0 and they have a real chance of running the table from there. They have Washington the week after that. And then Buffalo in Buffalo, like that's the game. If they get by that game, all they have is Cincinnati, Indianapolis and Cleveland. Like they could lose one of those final three games. But they will be favored in all of those games. And so at this point, there really are only two games left where you could see like a significant real challenge to the Steelers. And if they're able to win those games, they, I mean, it sounds wild to think, but they legitimately could go 16 and 0. And I, like, I'm sorry, if they go 16 and 0, there will be a near zero chance that someone on that, on that team is not the MVP and, and it will have to be Roethlisberger just kind of based on how things go. And I'll just say if they win all of these other games, like people are thinking of Roethlisberger as the guy who was just kind of like lame ducking his way through the first six games of the season. If they win these games, Roethlisberger will have decent enough production to where MVP voters will be able to convince themselves to vote for him.
2: Yeah, it's really, really interesting how that's going to play out. I mean, at the very least, it looks like it's very likely when you project things out that the Steelers get one of those first, uh, or they get the bye weeks because this year we're only going to have, um, well, so we can have, I'm just trying so, to think of the COVID implications, right? But as it stands right now, we're looking at 17.
1: Yeah, as, as it stands right now, there's only one team that gets the bye. And uh, so it's been this weird situation and it's worth thinking about in the past, the MVP has always gone to someone who has like a combination of stats that are good enough and plays on a team that gets the buy. And so there's the question of this year, does that mean that the MVP voters are going to prioritize the buy and go only for someone who's on one of two teams Or are they going to say like, okay, well, the second seed, uh, maybe it doesn't mean as much as it used to mean. And so that means that we could almost like widen the pool of candidates to extend it to someone who's on a a team that has the third seed, right? Because like if you're willing to vote for someone who has the number two seed and now there's like no real significance between the number two seed and number three seed, then someone on the number three seed could potentially get it. I think that the, the MVP voters, if things stand... Uh, the way that they are now they would be inclined to kind of move up uh in in voting uh in the seating instead of moving down so like that makes me think roethlisberger uh has like a very real chance
2: well we'll definitely have to see how that plays out bringing things back to fantasy though james connor uh since week seven 14.1 points, 15 points against Baltimore in week eight, then down to uh, four points against Dallas, 6.8 points against Cincinnati, um, has not finished as an RB1 since week six. I think people that uh, have Connor on their teams are starting to get a little bit worried. You know, anecdotally, just from watching things, I was kind of, you know, questioning Connor as well. I will say if you go in and you look at like breakaway, Uh, runs, look at some metrics there. He's actually doing pretty well. He's remained somewhat uh, elusive, kind of like middle of the road. So I don't know if we should feel like all things are lost, but for a running back that's on a team that is undefeated, uh, you might be expecting a little bit more out of him. Um, Have you been disappointed with Connor as you were somebody that was pretty high on him? And do you have concerns about him um, having trouble bouncing back to what you would like to see out of him as we close out the year?
1: Yeah, the the past two weeks have certainly been disappointing, but given the total running back carnage that we've seen this year, um, I still think you have to be pretty pleased with him. Like if you take out the first week of the season where he was injured in the middle of the week uh, and you just look at what he's done in the past eight games, you're still looking at a running back who's pacing for uh, around 1300 yards for 16 games, uh, and pacing for double digit touchdowns. Like it's hard to be too disappointed with a guy doing that. So you just, sorry. So you just have to kind of accept that, um, what has happened recently in the past two games is suboptimal, but given the offense he's on and given the role that he has, he's likely to bounce back.
2: All right. Fair enough. So we are actually going to talk about Kalen Bellage with another strong performance after we take one minute to hear from our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria, and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore total visits, so it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with a free 75 dollars credit at indeed.com slash blue wire this is their best offer available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through december 31 terms and conditions apply
1: what's up listeners this is curtis patrick i just wanted to stop by and say thank you for supporting Rotoviz radio you are the absolute best audience in the business And I know it. As a special thank you, I'm offering 10% off your next Rotoviz subscription. Just use code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's right. Go to rotoviz.com, click subscribe, and enter code 2020RVRADIO at checkout for 10% off. You can even extend your subscription. Oh, and one more thing. If you haven't ever done it, please rate and review the podcast you're listening to right now. On Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. It only takes like 10-15 seconds. Just do it. We'd love to hear your feedback. Now, back to the show.
2: So, the Chargers passed to running backs seven times over the weekend. Six of those went to Kalen Bellage They also recorded 25 rushing attempts. 18 of those went to Kalen Balazs. At all, at points, Matt, it almost felt like the team said, "We need to uh, run our offense through Kalen Bullock." What is going on here? Is Kalen Bullock trustable now as we move forward? With I assuming don't think he's, that Austin Eckler isn't there, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't think he's uh, trustable. But uh, I mean, when you have a, a talent as great as I mean, I can't say it with his <laughs> straight face. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird situation where. Um, he flashed some in college, especially with his pass-catching ability, Um, and he was very athletic at the Combine. And so when he entered the league as a fourth-rounder, he seemed like someone who potentially had some talent. Uh, But, you know, he was with the uh the Adam Gase Miami Dolphins uh and you know better players than him have been waylaid uh by that that genius of offensive mentality so uh you know maybe Belage actually is a decent player uh and now that he's on a a team that isn't coached by Adam Gase like maybe we're kind of seeing him break out um He entered the league in only 2018. So, you know, it's not unthinkable for a guy, especially someone with Adam Gase, to struggle in his first couple of seasons and then, you know, maybe show something in his third year. Uh, The thing that does kind of get me with him is that um, even though we didn't really see it last year, he had only 2.6 yards per target last year. um, He is a a decent pass catching back, uh, or at least like good enough to be used in a three down role if a team is desperate. And it looks like right now, I mean, I don't think that the Chargers should be particularly desperate because they still have Joshua Kelly. Like they still have other guys, but yeah, it looks like they have identified Belage as being maybe their best three down back. Uh, and I think he probably is the most athletic of all of those guys. So yeah, I mean uh, I, I guess if you have him, you're probably using him. Um, but, uh, I mean, especially now this week, he has the hashtag revenge game against the New York Jets uh, from the, the two games that he was there this year. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think if you have him, yeah, man, you're you're probably playing him. But I think that also just says more about, like, the state of the running back position than it does about Balazs.
2: Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, but it is going to be hard to come across, like you said, any other back if you don't have guys that are just locked and loaded ready to go it's going to be hard to find somebody that has that workload as you mentioned his ability as a receiver i think it's definitely showing itself he's 16 of 19 um 7.2 yards per reception in the other interesting thing he's been pretty good at generating uh yards after the catch has a position rank of seven 9.4 uh yards after the catch per reception which is pretty crazy so um there's reason to feel decent about Balazs if you need to start him. Um, Damian Harris, Matt, if I remember correctly, you were actually, uh, relative to other people, pretty interested in him. He's now put together a couple of decent games for New England. Any thoughts on Harris?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, he's looked good. I think he's looked good enough to this point be able to hold off Sony Michelle whenever he gets back. And here's something that is uh, yet to be seen, but it's like a possibility. He could actually be a good receiver. Like he was a good receiver in college and uh, in training camp, uh, beat writers talked about him. And what he was doing in the receiving game as like, Hey, this is a skill that he actually has. Like he was being compared to Rex Burkhead as someone who had a three down skill set. And we haven't seen that. We've seen him used only in the Sony Michelle role but and I'm not going to read like too much into like a, a two target sample, but like he has caught both of his passes. He has turned two targets into 26 yards. We, we know based on his work at Alabama that he's at least competent in the receiving game. And we've seen him have 5.5 yards per carry in his uh, not rookie season, but in his first year as a, an actual contributor. Um, and he's done it pretty consistently in, in every game, but one, he's been above five yards per carry. Like what happens? Like there's a non-zero chance that they continue to feed him and then they start to incorporate him into the passing game. You know, like I think he's actually near his low point in terms of how he's being used and then also like his market value. Because he could start to get goal line carries. He could start to be used in the receiving game. Like there's significant upside from here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. No, we don't like to talk about yards per carry too much, but he actually ranks eighth right now um, in yards per carry among running backs and has gone over five yards per carry in every game that New England has played this year. Now, of course, this is a team with good running backs, but if you compare him to some of the other players, I think he has looked really well. We're also seeing James White kind of getting phased out of the offense a little bit, which feels very weird, Uh, but... I think we're kind of at this point where you look at the situation of the Patriots, where the identity is starting to change and it looks like it would really behoove the team to make Harris a part of this new identity going forward. So I've actually been really impressed with him. I'm pretty excited about him. I have him on a couple of teams, but I actually think that I would be going out there and actively trying to get him not shipping away too many integral parts of my team. Um, but I think that it's possible that his value just goes up because like you said, there are other roles in this team that he could fill. And I th- think it's also important to note this is a team that does not have loyalty, right? Like they're not going to care at all when Sony Michelle gets back about getting him work if they don't feel like, you know, he's going to be able to outplay Harris, which it's very likely that he won't. Uh, so I'm feeling good about him. Uh, before we move off into England, though, let's talk a little bit about the receiving situation that we have there now. In particular, I want to start with Jacoby Myers, um, who's going to be the beneficiary likely of a lot of volume still um, until we either see and kill Harry step up a little bit or Edelman return.
1: I mean, um, Myers has looked really good. I know that last week wasn't as good of a performance. You know, only only seven targets, five receptions, 59 yards. But if you look at what he's done in the past four games, I mean, you're talking about about a guy who's getting close to 10 targets per game, Um, you know, pacing for, you know, almost 1400 yards. If you stretched it out over a 16 game sample now, like he's not going to continue at that pace, but, Um, I think he's a, you know, like a thousand yard receiver. Like that's the type of of player that he is given the usage that he's getting right now.
2: Yeah. And so Demir bird last night, um, or wait, no, uh, hold on. I'm going to retract that statement. So, um, I'm not going to talk about bird right now, but I think what I was getting at was basically of the two, I think Myers is the one that I would prefer. Um, and I'm feeling absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I think that's it of what I had for the Patriots there. So I wanted to Sorry,
1: just, yep. just to put some numbers on this. If you look at what uh, Myers has done since week seven it has a 39% target share, like that is obscene and like that has to regress. Um, but like, what does it regress to? Does it regress to 30 percent, which is still ridiculously high, but like it could stick around that number because there is no one else on this team who can really challenge for targets right now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's playing in terms of his usage, like at a near elite level.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another AFC East team I wanted to talk about was the dolphins. So Jordan Howard, no longer a dolphin. Obviously, Miles Gaskin started off the season strongly. He's been dealing with injury. Matt Breida, it seems, is always dealing with an injury. However, Salvin Ahmed steps in and has performed pretty well uh, or performed pretty well in Week 10, uh, 21, 21 rushing attempts, 85 yards, also scored a touchdown, um, one-on-one receiving. My question is just kind of about this backfield in general, Matt. Do you think that with Gaskin, doing well Ahmed doing well two players that people may have not been expecting this is more a reflection of this kind of new Miami Dolphins team if you will or do you think it that uh you know Gaskin in particular is just a talent obviously it's hard to figure out what Ahmed is like off of just one game
1: Yeah, I mean, Gaskin was productive in college. Um, good receiving back. It's you know not unfathomable for someone like that to have some success in the NFL. Um, with Ahmed, it's it's hard to know. Um, but uh, I, I kind of think it's a situation where when Gaskin gets back. Uh, Gaskin will continue to be the guy, but he's probably going to seed work to Ahmed. And, and I think Ahmed like will probably be the replacement for Matt Brita, who, uh, you know, until Gaskin's injury was really looking like he was kind of on the outs anyway.
2: Yep. Um, also, didn't they both go to Washington? They did both go to
1: Washington. Yeah, yeah
2: that's kind of interesting. All right. So we're going to have a backfield with two Huskies in there. I like it. Um Okay. Uh, Boston Scott and Miles Sanders. Uh, let's talk quickly about the Eagles backfield. And at this point, uh, what do you think? Let's just start with Boston Scott. What do you think his value looks like rest of season from a redraft perspective? Um,
1: He got four touches last week. So that's kind of like the not the baseline for what I think his usage is going to be like moving forward. But like, I know he had 63 yards rushing and, you know, had 11 yards receiving and then scored a touchdown. So you put that all together and that looks pretty good. But uh, I mean, he was a clear number two back, like very distant behind miles Sanders. So I, I think Scott should be rostered because anyone who uh, will be the starter if the actual starter gets injured that that running back should be rostered at this point, but like you can't actually start him and hope that he gives you any fantasy production because he's likely to get only like four to six touches per game.
2: Right. And you know, that's one of those where if you're just quickly looking at, um, you know, a couple pieces of the box score, you might not uh, you might not realize that the opportunity just wasn't there. So Miles Sanders on the season averaging 16 uh, PPR per game, which is actually a little bit more than it might uh, feel like to some of his owners, given the stretch of time that we did see him miss had a down week against the Niners in week four. I still think though, if you project out across the rest of the season, Matt, um, that he is probably going to finish on a similar pace. The only problem is though he draws new Orleans, Arizona and Dallas who have all been hard for fantasy running backs. Uh, down the stretch, but I still think that what we've concluded here is that Sanders is going to get the vast majority of the work. uh, And he should be fairly reliable down the stretch, despite those tough matchups. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, Naheem Hines, Matt, we're not even going to talk about Jonathan Taylor here, but he had another tremendous performance on Thursday night. I want to assess his dynasty value and where it should be. This is a player who I don't think you're ever going to feel super confident that he's going to get you 10, 12 points every week. But it seems like when he strings together a good game, he really puts together a good game. And to a lot of people watching on Thursday night, he really looked like one of the more talented players in that game.
1: Um, was there a, a question in there?
2: Yeah, my question is your thoughts on him from like <laughs> yeah, a
1: dynasty sorry. perspective. Yes, like where should people D- be dynasty dynasty perspective? Yes, yeah, sorry, I, I got lost looking at uh, other other stuff. Yeah, Naheem, I have no interest in him. Okay, which uh, is is probably horrible to say because he actually, in, in terms of what he has shown uh, in the NFL and his overall skill set uh, and his athleticism and what he did in college he really might be the most talented back or at least all around back on that team. Um, but you, you can't trust that Like you can't consistently start him um, because the team like doesn't, it seems like the team really doesn't want to use him uh, in a, a three down role. Like Jonathan Taylor is on deck. And so, I don't know. Like if you have him in dynasty, I think you try to trade him whenever he pops and maybe someone will eventually bite. Um, but I mean, for the most part, I think it's just like, it's nice to have him as someone who maybe, uh, can be relied upon if Jonathan Taylor, uh, and then Jordan Wilkins gets injured. (laughs) But like, for the most part, I, I think he's just kind of like this, um, I want to say he's a roster clogger because like he is a actual good player, but he's just, he's like a super sprawls and that's just very hard to depend on.
2: So I'm actually going to push back on here. I actually think that Naheem Hines is one of those players that you love to have on a roster. And I'm going to explain why it's because I find that lots of times in dynasty, I'm in a situation where I have just like a billion young wide receivers that I don't want to do away with. As a result, I'm not rostering many running backs and I could try to play the wire, but lots of times when I'm playing the wire, it's looking for a guy that's in a similar spot. You don't really know how it's going to go. So I might as well leave it with Heinz, a guy that always figures to have that somewhat defined role and could put up a ton of points. So I actually don't view him as a roster clogger. I think he has a fair amount of utility. Having said that though, It might not be a terrible time to float out some offers for him and see what you can get because it's also very likely that his value never approximates where it is currently.
1: He's playing at a peak level right now. Like he has six touchdowns on the season, and in his previous two seasons, he had six touchdowns combined. You know, like if not for those touchdowns, people would be viewing him very
2: differently. Right. But he does he does do black backflips when he's in the end zone.
1: Right. It's too bad. You don't get extra fantasy points for that. Right. But, um, like not to put too much weight on yards per attempt, like in no season in his career, has he hit like even hit four yards per attempt? Uh, he has only one game this year with double digit carries. And that was last week. Like you are hoping that he gets receiving usage. If you start him, uh, and hoping he finds the end zone. And that just feels like a terrible situation to be in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I actually think that's fair because if you look at his game log, he only has, um, so he started off the season with eight for eight in week one, but beyond that game, he's only hit five receptions one time, which for a player that you're not going to be expecting, that rushing usage, because it's just very unlikely that the Colts or any team are going to use him in that capacity. You're going to need a lot of his production to come from receptions, which just haven't been there. So it's, a, it's you know, a very fair point about the touchdowns. Um, Josh, I mean, he's he's yep.
1: pacing. Sorry, not to yep. like uh, put a nail in this, but like he's pacing for 800 yards for the season. Like that's not a back that I want on my team. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. Um, so, Josh Reynolds, um, I have been looking at now for a couple of weeks. We've seen him go eight targets, nine targets, ten targets. Um, on the uh, season, scored a touchdown in week six. Week seven, the Rams, um, a team that are going to be competitive. 17.4 PPR points for Josh Reynolds over the weekend. Obviously, they're... Uh, are Robert Woods and Cooper Cup for Reynolds to compete with. He's going to be the third in that wide receiver depth chart. But I think that um, he's a wide receiver worth mentioning. Now, I don't really know if in a lot of people's leagues, I'm not thinking that you're going to get him in an FFPC type of league, but in a home league, he might still be sticking around. I think he makes for a good add. What do you think, Matt?
1: I think he's a situational play um, and you know, was perfect last week. Um, He was popping in some of the fantasy labs models. He had that great matchup going against Seattle and, you know, you saw him actually be able to convert his targets into production. He's not always been able to do that um, just because of how he's used. Sometimes he gets the targets, but uh, you know, just through variability, whatever it is, he doesn't actually get the yardage. Um, But, you know, he has against uh, a very wounded San Francisco defense, a good matchup in week 12 and he still has a matchup later in the season, once again, against the Seattle Seahawks, who are really just allowing almost every wide receiver facing them as you put up fantasy points. So uh, yeah, if he's available on waivers, um, and especially if you are thin at the position, I think he is someone to consider, not to say that you would start him every week. Like, for instance, I don't think I would start him this week going against the Buccaneers. But um, situationally, uh, I think he does make a a good flyer.
2: Nice. Uh, Marvin Hall, week eight, 15.3 points down game against Minnesota at 5.8, Washington uh, 14.1. Now, Kenny Galladay was out, so that certainly helps things for Marvin Hall. Uh, but you know, there's fantasy managers out there right now looking for anybody that they can try to rely on, be it uh, due to dealing to, with, with bye weeks to injury. Um Thoughts on Marvin Hall. I don't think anybody's gonna think that they can pop him into their lineup every week, but that he might be able to add some depth for them.
1: As long as uh you know Kenny Galladay is out, then I, I think Marvin Hall should be rostered. And in certain situations, I I think he can be started. Like if you're desperate enough. I guess it just sort of depends on like what you consider to be like good, but um, because of his, his big playability um, he's pretty decent at leveraging targets into production. So in his past three games uh, he's had, I mean, it's a small sample, but you know, like 13.5 yards per target Uh, you know, he's been able to score touchdowns. He's getting three targets per game. Uh, you know, almost 70 yards per game. Like that's not bad. Um, So I, I think of him as someone who's kind of similar to Josh Reynolds in a way as like an ancillary option who has the, um, the ability to outperform expectations and, you know, actually like maybe put you in a position where he doesn't like kill you if you start him. But like, I think you need to be kind of in a desperate situation.
2: Yeah, and I think that uh, it's important to note too just like how helpful that touchdown is to making his production look a little bit better than it probably would be on just three targets. Um, So just (sighs) something to keep in mind. Um, Richard Rodgers for the Eagles in their game over the weekend, five targets, uh, has scored 10 fantasy points in that game. And the funny thing here is, Matt, I'm looking at Richard Rodgers who has had... Uh, You know, not what one would consider a great season. 14.5 points in week seven against the Giants, then 10 points against the Giants in week 10. But I'm considering what Zach Ertz was able to do. Is this even an even larger uh, indictment of where Zach Ertz is in his career? Hopefully he does manage to return to action soon. Yeah, I mean, Dick Rod was like (laughs) on the street before the season started. Like
1: he wasn't a guy who at all was in their plans. He was literally playing in Philadelphia YMCA basketball, uh, you know, playing against Adam Levitan. Oh my gosh. That's, that's where he was. And and now he's, now he's in the NFL. Uh, And you know, like he's the aged veteran where you don't really think anything's going to happen. Like his best season was over a half decade ago where he kind of lucked his way into eight touchdowns on an Aaron Rodgers team. Um, this is not the type of thing that we should be seeing out of someone like, uh, like Richard Rogers. And, and so for Zach Ertz to fail, to be able to live up to what the third string tight end is doing uh, is really an indictment of what Ertz has been up to this year. And like, Maybe Ertz deserves some of the benefit of the doubt because he has been very good up to this season. Maybe he's been dealing with some sort of injury before the, you know, actual injury that put him on IR. Like, I I don't know, but he has certainly been bad this year, and when he returns, I don't think we should really expect anything different,
2: Uh, just, you know, kind of based on what we saw out of him to start the season. Really interesting uh, target distribution, too, for Philly. Uh, Rager, 7. Goddard, 6. Greg Ward, 6. Sanders, 5. Richard Rodgers, 5. Travis Fulgham, 5. Alston Jeffrey won, Boston Scott won, but it does seem that this team is spreading things out a lot. And just to kind of continue on the earth point, I don't really think that there's going to be much incentive for them to try to like pepper him with targets or anything like that. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. The one thing that is, um, so it's annoying that we haven't seen anyone outside. I mean, out Fulgham was really good uh, in previous weeks. Uh, Annoying that last week he wasn't really Able to dominate but the one good thing Is that they didn't pepper Alshon Jeffrey with targets like maybe they're Just kind of looking to ease him back In Um, but uh, It's nice the idea That Jeffrey really just Might be a rotational number Four number five receiver in That offense instead of someone who's out There preventing better Guys from getting opportunities
2: Yep Uh, Ezekiel Elliott Matt Where do you think that his fantasy value is now in comparison to where it would have been at the start of the season?
1: At the start of the season, I would assume that he's in the top five at running back. Um, Maybe, you know, maybe not top five overall, just kind of depending on whether it's super flex or how people value wide receivers, but top five in his position. And now I would assume that he's probably still in the top 12, but lower lower in the top 12
2: got it yeah so you think that there's been a definite move um for him which seems to be the consensus uh if you're looking forward now on elliot's career right and we think about um what the future could look like for him in comparison to what it was are we at the point now where we need to adjust and kind of view him as a different version of ezekiel elliot or do you think that he can still be the ezekiel elliot that we've been picturing for the last you know three four seasons
1: I think we have to adjust. Like, when do running backs really start to fall off? Um, he's already 25. I mean, it's a hundred percent well. Okay, I don't want to say a hundred percent, but like the odds that a year from now he is worth less in the uh the trade market than he is now, the odds are very high. I'd say like 90 percent. Um, and like the odds that two years from now he's going to be worth even less than he is a year from now, those odds are also very high. Uh, and that's correlated to the production we should expect to get out of him over the next two years. Um, I mean, very good chance that we do not see a 1500 yard running back. I would say that it's probably closer to, you know, 1200 yards and like that is still fine. Um, Like you still want that production in your lineup, but it would be probably best to, to transact out of ownership (laughs) when he still has value. Yeah. Um, Because he's, He's no longer Ezekiel Elliott of years one through four where he was basically just like a guaranteed lock to, you know, make the pro bowl and to be one of the league leaders in rushing. He's not that guy anymore.
2: Got it. And my final question on that will be how much of that do you attribute to the change in Dallas or how much of that do you attribute to the change in Zeke?
1: Mm, uh, Probably half and half. I mean... So I think maybe actually half and half is probably too much. I would say the change in circumstances is the bigger part of it. And so the the fact that one, there's no, there's no DAC, that's significant. But then also the fact that the offense isn't running through him anymore. It's running through the quarterback position. And then the offense doesn't have the offensive line that it used to have. Uh, And so when he's running, he can't be quite as efficient. And then also I would say, yeah, his, his skills, his athleticism, you know, that's diminished. Uh, And so it's a combination of all of that. And I guess I'd say maybe, I don't know, maybe 35% of it is on Zeke and the rest is on the circumstances.
2: Fair enough. Uh, Final question for you, Matt, before we close down for the week, as we look forward uh, to the upcoming weekend, are there any really intriguing wide receiver uh, cornerback matchups that you're going to be keeping your eye on? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> on on Thursday night football, we've got DK Metcalf going against Patrick Peterson, and Peterson is one of the only guys who's really been able to shut down Metcalf. Uh, and no, granted, like he's had some defensive help. But uh, in two games so far, if we look at week 16 last year uh, and then just a, a few weeks ago when they played, uh, Metcalf was pretty much a non-factor. Uh, and so I will be curious to see if Metcalf is able to to bounce back uh, because we saw him even just last week really get shut down by Jalen Ramsey. Yep. And so, you know, two weeks in a row, do we see DK Metcalf really take a backseat Within that offense, because like if he's going to develop into the Megatron like star that we think he can be, uh, he's eventually going to need to be able to beat or at least, you know, hold his own against cornerbacks who are big and physical. So that's one matchup Thursday night football Metcalf versus Patrick Peterson Uh, and then another matchup uh, on Monday night football is Mike Evans against Jalen Ramsey. And Evans isn't the producer he has been in previous seasons, but he's still pretty good. He's still like one of the league leaders in touchdowns receiving. Uh, and then Ramsey is playing at, I think, like a peak level, uh, like probably the best we've ever seen Ramsey play. Uh, and so those two guys going against each other, I think could be something uh, pretty entertaining.
2: Awesome. All right, a lot of stuff to look forward to. Matt and I will, of course, be back here next week um, reacting to everything and looking forward. But uh, that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed and Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Football is back in swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sports book experts.